This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Great to have you back with us for another episode. Uh, I want to thank all the people, as I normally do, that support me on Patreon. I want to thank you very, very much. Uh, as I said on one of the previous shows that I did, I want to thank all you guys that support me month to month. I was able to buy some extra gear this month, uh, which is actually going to help out with the show. So I just wanted to thank you guys very much for that. Things are working fantastically for me at the moment. Uh, with this new mixing deck that I've got, so I'm able to basically do everything on the fly from intros to outros to uh, playing music uh, to the guests hearing music back. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I used it on one of the last shows with Johnny Ellsmore from Point of Ampec TV. And it worked an absolute dream. So thanks to all the guys on Patreon that support me, you know, either new or old people that have joined me since the beginning and helped me out. I want to thank you guys very much. But of course, you want to jump on Patreon, throw a few bucks my way, you can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP. Uh, and that'd be fantastic. So thank you, everyone that's supported me on Patreon. On today's show, I'm talking with Zach Williams. Now, he's a hunter, shooter, and fisherman uh, hailing from South Australia. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people on the show, of course, it's called the Australian Hunting Podcast, but, you know, I think a lot of people, and I do get a lot of emails from people say, you know, they really enjoy not only the guests from Australia, but also the guests from overseas. And one thing I've noticed, it doesn't matter where we're from at all, doesn't matter, you know, where we come from, color of our skin, sexual orientation doesn't matter anything about that one thing we do have in common is that we love hunting shooting and fishing and that's universal it doesn't matter which country you come from doesn't matter you know we all love firearms we all love our hunting we all love our shooting now it doesn't matter which part of the shooting sports you like it's universal it's fun it's exciting you know, I've got in many people into shooting over the years, many people that listen to this show. Uh, if you've been on Instagram, I often share a lot of the emails and messages that I get from people on things like Instagram or the Facebook inbox. And it's great that not only myself, but you guys listening to the show have got your friends or your family into the hunting, shooting and fishing sports so we can continue this awesome culture for the future. So on this show, we're going to find out, you know, what happens in South Australia. We're going to find out what you can hunt down in South Australia. We're going to find out some of the rules. We're going to find out uh, something interesting about bow fishing that uh, Zach is going to share with us. So I'm looking forward to this show. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring Zach onto the show. Zach Williams, welcome to AHP, mate. Thanks for joining me, coming on the show to uh, have a chat about, you know, hunting, shooting, fishing, bow hunting, and uh, everything in between, mate. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you for having me, mate. Keen no, to have a chat. No worries. Tell us about yourself first. A um, bit of information, personal history. That'd be great. So I'm a South Australian bow hunter primarily. Um, and I do pick up the gun from, uh, rifle from time to time to go out on quick meat hunts. Um, I've been hunting oh, since before I could remember. Um, I used to go fortnightly with my grandparents. They'd take me around, you know, all around Australia and, would stop and go do some hunting, do some shooting, fishing, yabbing, camping, you know, just all around the place, you know. 
Yeah, was it interestingly enough, you just had mentioned grandparents. Uh, was it your family that was into hunting and shooting, or was it more your grandparents, or how did that sort of work out growing up? So my uh, parents split up when I was quite young. Um, so my dad wasn't wasn't around too much when I was younger, so I used to go stay at my grandparents' place fortnightly. And then, um, yeah, so we'd go from there. Occasionally I'd see my dad. He worked away quite a bit when I was younger. Um, and, yeah, I learned how to hunt and fish through them. Um, Pop's been, you know, hunting since he was 12, 13, all around, you know, the southeast of Australia, down the bo- of South Australia, down the bottom there, and then up into New South Wales, hunting pigs and rabbits. He used to shoot shoot for fur and for money, anything for an income back in those days. Yeah, absolutely. When you were growing up, what do you sort of, you know, remember growing up? Do you remember, you know, certain animals that you hunted? Did you remember experiences? What was sort of the, you know, the the... I guess the species on offer back in the heyday, probably the same as these days, but what do you remember hunting with him growing up? Mainly small game and goats. Um, would go camping quite a bit and he'd, you know, give me the air rifle and say, go get a few feral pigeons or rabbits and all of that stuff. So I'd just go off for a couple hours, come back. And he pretty much gave me freedom, you know, trust, trusted me enough with a firearm or my little plastic recurve bow. And yeah, I'd go off and then sometimes we'd hit out towards the Flinders Ranges and go hunt, hunt goats out there. So I had a pretty good up, upbringing that way. He'd take me out, show me how to skin, gut, look. Um, you know, but it wasn't until I um, got into, you know, 17, 18, until I really started getting into it. Did you always grow up in South Australia or is it a place you've stayed throughout your whole life or have you moved from different states now or just basically South Australia? Yeah, just South Australian, mate. But um, yeah, through through my grandparents, I got to see a lot of New South Wales, uh, the bottom half of Queensland, Victoria, uh, a lot of outback South Australia. So hitting up the river quite a bit, fishing, and yeah, just going from there. Mate, tell us about South Australia. Is it uh, they like the Tasmanians down there? A bit funny down there, or <laughs> what's happening in South Australia? What's it like to live down there? What's it like for you know hunting opportunities? Give us an all round, uh, I guess, insight into South Australia. I've never been there myself, so South Australia has some pretty good hunting opportunities, but only on private property. That's the um, only downside. Um, a few pay to go stations back in the day, but not so many these days because of the price of goats. Um, you've got goats all through the Flinders Ranges, few deer out there, deer, goats, small game through the Adelaide Hills, and then you've got plenty of deer down the southeast of Australia around Kingston area. Yeah, excellent. I was just when you, when you were talking about you know, your grandfather getting into you, and it's like, do you still take him on hunts these days? I mean, heaven, you know, God bless. Hopefully, he's still with us. Do you take him out if he's still with us? Um, um, he is still with us, but unfortunately, he um, doesn't have a very great, good leg these days. So he he can't walk around as much as he could. I've been meaning to get him out on a deer hunt because he's actually never hunted deer back in when he grew up down the southeast around Kingston, Mount Gambier way. There wasn't really any any deer down that way. So pretty much only shot foxes and rabbits for um, fur and for money back in the day. And then he did a lot of uh, pig shooting through New South Wales, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. What about? Let's talk about. I want to talk a bit about the populations. Uh, of, you know, deer, pigs. What are you sort of seeing down there? Have you got to go to certain places? Have you seen an increase in deer numbers over the years? What are you generally seeing down there in South Australia? Lots of goats. Um, deer are starting to pick up, pick up now. But um, because the hunting's only on private property, the uh, government are actually starting to find people if they um, have too many feral animals on their properties. So more people want you just to shoot everything out rather than good game management practices because they are classed as a feral animal down here and not a game animal like Victoria and New South Wales. I know it's unbelievable to think, isn't it really, that you know people can be fined. And I've seen, we've seen that a little bit up here. Not, I'm not sure about fines in New South Wales, but you know if you've got feral animals on your land, I mean the government expects you somehow to... You know, even if you're not a shooter, but you're a farmer, to take care of them. And I mean, it's a bit crazy that people are getting fined for you know, not removing feral animals off their own property. You thought it would be a choice. It's pretty crazy times at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting if you ask me, you know, because um, park, like national parks and conservation parks and all of that, they're breeding grounds for feral animals. Um, the reason the population gets so overpopulated over here is just because they're not doing enough about it. And if they let um, hunters go in and pay money to go do it, you'd see a drop in numbers and you'd get some income coming in for the state as well. In regards to deer species, um, I've sent a few of your photos on Instagram as well. Uh, so it looks like I'm seeing a fair bit of fallow down there. Is there any other species that have, I guess, either in South Australia migrated their way into South Australia? What species are you generally seeing? What's your, your sort of bread and butter deer species in South Australia? So my bread and butter deer species is fallow deer, um, but we do have a few reds pass through my area from time to time. But because of the um, game park down in near Kingston down there in the south southeast of South Australia, uh, we actually have all species of deer down here. So um, a lot of deer have gone out of the fences. So we have hog deer, fallow, rooster, chittle, red deer, apparently a few wapiti out there, um, you know, everything. Do you generally, do you have a crossover to other states to go hunting? I mean, or do you normally stick to South Australia? You know, probably Vic, Victoria is not too far away. You know, probably venturing into WA as well. What are the opportunities there? And have you done any of that? I have uh, done a couple of hunts over to Victoria and a couple of small game hunts over to, well, one, one small game hunt over to New South Wales. But it is a fair drive where we go in Victoria is about a 13-hour straight drive. And then where we went up into New South Wales was about a 16, 17-hour straight drive. Far out. That's crazy. You come up into God's territory, New South Wales, huh? Yeah, mate. <laughs> Gorgeous up there. <laughs> what were you up here? What were you hunting? What species were you hunting up here? So um, we went out with a guide through one of my mates and it was mainly just fallow deer. Um, I didn't get onto any. Numbers were pretty low at the time. Um, I took a fox with a bow. Another mate took his first first deer with a bow. He'd shot plenty with a rifle, but yeah. Um, so we he he was out chasing a chittle over near Coffs Harbour, and we met met him and the guide out in New South Wales there, and um, stayed there for a couple of days. Beautiful properties that he took us out on, and uh, ate some fresh venison while we were sitting around the fire and. Having a good old chat. Since there's a fair amount of species, I guess they're you know they are starting to move around. I'm seeing a lot more you know samba up here in New South Wales as well, especially in southern New South Wales. 
even moving up north, people said they're actually seeing them and taking them as well. So you've hunted fallow. What other species have you been successfully able to hunt that you've actually got on the ground? Um, I've hunted fallow, red, um, white-tailed deer in Mexico. I chased seeker in New Zealand on the North Island um, and Samba in Victoria. Really? Wow, nice. What was the New Zealand hunt like? Pretty good? Yeah, mate. It was amazing. Cold, um, wet, miserable. Um, <laughs> Welcome to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything was wet. You know, you're going to bed freezing cold, sleeping in all your wet clothes just to try and keep warm. Um, the seeker, man, they're just a beautiful deer. The, the noises they make during the roar is just incredible. Do you think that makes it, you know, like sort of all worthwhile? You know, there's nothing worse. I think every time I go on a hunt, I think, shit, if I get wet, even though I bring spare clothes with me, if I get wet, there's nothing worse than, you know, getting really wet, having to sleep in wet clothes. You just, Sometimes you think, yeah, hunting's awesome, but, man, this is just a nightmare being wet and cold. There's nothing worse than that, I reckon. Yeah, especially because there was a lot of sitting during the hunt. So it was actually a seven-day backpack trip. I got invited by a uh, Aussie-born um, guy that lives over there now. Um, he invited me over to go hunt the seeker with him. Um, and yeah, it was a seven-day backpack hunt. So we took, you know, I only had two two spare changes of clothes in the backpack. You know, I overpacked as it as it was. You know, a lot of lot of unnecessary food and unnecessary weight, like I normally take. But yeah. Actually, good to bring up, actually. What's the difference, do you think? Like, you know, sometimes where I go very, you know, thick terrain and stuff like that. So, man, to be honest, sometimes I know my good sort of cream spots where I think there might be deer. I know there's a lot of game trails. So sometimes, man, I'm, you know, I'm a lazy hunter at times because I know there's probably going to be deer, you know, in a certain area crossing at a certain time. So sometimes I've parked my car literally four to five hundred meters from that spot walk down into that area get my little fishing chair out set up against some trees at you know away from you know maybe in some shadows or something and bang you know an hour later before dark you know i've, I've got my thing on deer so what's the difference do you think between you know that sort of you know backpacking very minimalist you know hunting compared to say you know going out for a day pack or a day hunt you know taking a day pack with you huge difference in what you can actually bring along with you yeah, definitely a huge difference. Um, I, I tend to over overpack um, stuff anyway when I go out. You know, my day pack's usually about a 14 and a half kilo pack, including water. Um, you know, during winter, I'll take my jet boil out with me, take, you know, some noodles, take some coffee, um, a lot of unnecessary snacks and just wait. But, you know, um, you sit down after a cold morning in the fog and hail and sit down and have a nice warm, co- warm coffee and a cup of noodles and, you know, and, and make the day a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was going to say, what when you were thinking about going to New Zealand, I mean, a lot of guys go over there. They would like to pick different countries, the Africas, America, Canada, uh, for all different types of species. What prompted you to sort of pick, you know, New Zealand, I guess? Was that your first overseas hunt or no? Yeah, that was my first overseas hunt. Um, I was, like I said, I was invited by my mate Chris. Um, he hunted the country before and invited me over and free accommodation, all of that. Also, I have um, my camo sponsor there down down in New Zealand as well. Um, that Puntech, 
um, and we managed to catch up with them and went to a private hunting ranch as well the week after the backpack hunt. So we got to, you know, shoot some wicked, wicked guns and they actually invited a guy from New Zealand MasterChef to come cook for us and took us out on a big hunt and some goats and turkeys and all sorts of stuff as well. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, they, like I said, they put us up there. It was a wicked little log cabin. Um, you know, they supplied pretty much much everything for us, beer, guns, everything. Um, they had a bunch of hot tubs on the balcony uh, filled up by the hot springs underneath the cabin. So, yeah, it was amazing. I also got to take one of my first, my first pig over there with a rifle. So I was pretty pretty over the moon with that. All right, guys, let's get a quick break, and we'll be right back. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O. USAAustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, where do you want to hunt going forward, I guess, for the next, say, five or ten years? You know, short, medium, and, say, long term. What are the countries you think you want to start hitting going forward, and what sort of species do you want to target? I do want to go back to uh, New Zealand and go chase tar and chamois in the hills over there. Um, I've got a couple more mates through Huntex that have offered me to go over there. So I'm thinking for my 30th to go up over there. So another four years, give me plenty of time to save. Um, I would also like to go back to Mexico and hunt with my good mate Scott Newman over there who guides an outfit over there in Mexico hunting. Um, just incredible hunting over there. And also do want to go chase some pronghorn antelope, black bear, elk, and some other North American species. Well, mate, I hope you're playing Powerball. I've got a Powerball ticket today, so I think we both might need that if we, if we want to go um, shooting a lot more overseas. I haven't done it yet. It's one thing I do regret. You know, I do want to head over. I'm in New Zealand. I'm probably too way un, too unfit for New Zealand at the moment, so I'd have to, you know, probably get myself in better shape to uh, go over and hunt in New Zealand. But, you know, surely there's something that uh, can be suited. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know what I want to hunt overseas. Like, I love deer. Um, you know, I'd love to go to Ar- there's one thing I do want to do I'd love to go to Argentina and hunt the doves with the semi-autos over in uh, Argentina I think that'd be awesome that's definitely on my list but I don't know man I just it's so hard there's so many species and to find out what I'm interested in like I like deer but you know what species in different countries maybe I need to start looking this up I think I highly recommend Mexico man you fly over to Texas, cross the border over there, so you can, you know, do some high fence hunts in in Texas itself. Um, I was lucky enough to get a pretty good deal on an Ordad doe that I took with my bow while my mate was out chasing black buck. Um, but yeah, Mexico, man, it's a very game rich environment. Um, you are hunting out of blinds and over corn, so you're hunting automatic feeders that are set to go off at certain times with this apple scented corn. And then, yeah, you get all these deer and pigs and javelina, quail, dove, everything coming out of the cactus and all the spiky stuff. 
do you think the prices when you're obviously going over to these countries are the prices do you think are good are they competitive do you think it's worth you know because a lot of people often sometimes ask me they say well do you think i've never been overseas so i can't really give that advice but they say you know is that cost you know worth it from you know doing it yourself and i think well if you probably go overseas i'd probably say yes what what's your thoughts on that being able to have guides to get you onto the animals you know, I guess quicker than you know, having to try and do it yourself, especially if you've never been to said country before. Well, yeah, like I said, Mexico, man, it's um, very, very well priced. Um, you know, if you hit up my mate Scott Newman at Mexico Hunting, there, I'm sure, sure he'll um, work out deals for people depending on what you want to take. You know, he's got a big trophy trophy class gear that you know are a little bit more expensive or he's got some cull hunts there that are available you know the uh, mexican whitetail buck i took over there that was the cull buck um very well priced so you get the cull buck unlimited javelina um doves quail you know you go around at night and get the raccoons off the feeders um, I managed. I got a big, big rattlesnake, so I cooked that up and ate it. There's fishing on this property. Um, I went around gigging bullfrogs and then took them back to camp and ate them up. Um, amazing. How long were you over there for me? How long does that sort of hunt go for? Is it three to four days? How long do you normally spend over there? So I went over there with one of my good mates, Matt, Matthew Scott. Um, so. Scott Newman actually came over to Australia and we t- we got him three Australian species in a week and then he repaid the, repaid the favour of taking us up over there. And now my mate, Matthew Scott, he actually guides for Scott in Mexico during the season. Um, so he's been doing his third year coming up over, you know, uh, November, December, January. We were over there for three weeks in between Texas and Mexico. So we first went over to Mexico to help Scott set up, you know, set up the feeders, put all the times on the feeders, scout spots where the deer were being seen, where good bucks were being seen. Um, You have to put cages around the feeders because the pigs and the javelina push through. The deer will just jump over the cage and they'll uh, feed on on them. So we spent a week week over there first. Then we went back to um, Texas. Stayed at Scott's house for a few days, went and checked out Cabela's, Bass Pro, um, went and done the black bark hunt, the Ordad hunt, and then Scott actually had to go back to work because he's a school teacher. Um, and then Matt and I borrowed his car and drove seven hours back over to the border and went and stayed on the ranch by ourselves for uh, another five days, um, just setting up more feeders. Um, we stayed on the ranch just by ourselves. You know, nobody apart from the ranch owner spoke any English. So I was playing lots of charades with the locals, trying to work out, um, you know, where stuff was, going to the shops. Um, a lot of the locals were asking us to take some javelina for them, so we'd take them, go back, skin and gut them, and take them home for their family. It's pretty crazy. I was just thinking about that, the differences between Australia and I guess many other countries around the world. And when we talk about, and maybe you get this down there, I'm not sure I'd like to hear your experience, but you know, we talk about, and things have relaxed a little bit in New South Wales. I know you're on social media, a lot of things you can and can't do. Um, you know, Many years ago, you couldn't use feeders or any of those types of things. I mean, pretty much you know, game calls were banned, at least electronically anyway. I mean, obviously you could use rattlers and stuff like that or antlers, etc. But it's funny how Australia, they sort of frown upon, 
you know, grain or feeders and those types of things, yet sometimes it can be yeah, it can be an effective measure of bringing in game. Yet some people say, well, that's not hunting or, you know, where do we, where do we get this attitude from that isn't it about getting more people into the sport? Isn't it about, you know, more people being successful? And, you know, I guess people, some people think you should be just sort of bushwalking with a rifle and, you know, just sort of hope for the best. I mean, there seems to be a lot of different ideas in Australia about, you know, some even saying that sort of thing is not even ethical, which I disagree with what's your thoughts on that on that whole issue well shoot, shooting animals over a feeder is actually very ethical because you're waiting for the perfect broadside shot you have them you know we have the feeders set up uh, you know 100 yards from the stands over there so you just wait for the deer that you want to take um you know we were seeing you know 60 deer a day and just watching all these bucks documenting and taking photos and the buck I ended up taking, I'd seen him the first week, the second week, and I took him on the probably third last day, but, you know, complete broadside shot under 100 yards on a rest. You can't get any more ethical than that. Um, unfortunately, there is a lot of bashing on new hunters or hunters that do different types of hunting to, you know, the person who's bashing them. So it, that, that's a shame. Yeah, no, it seems like a, a bit of a good idea, I think, especially for people that, you know, want to go overseas and want to get animals. I just, it's weird how we just somehow cross an ocean and people say, well, because we're not used to that or that may not have been, you know, legal before, then, you know, you know, pretty much it shouldn't be sort of legal now. But, you know, I think it's a great idea. I mean, obviously, you know, if you've got animals in the area and stuff like that, I think it'd be fantastic to be able to bring them in, see what sort of specimens you've got, set up game cameras and stuff like that. Um, you know, a very effective way to, to, to bring in game. Exactly, over there. Because it's mainly all cactus, jumping cactus, you know, every bush has a spike on it um, and everything is just touching, you know. There's little trails underneath underneath all the cactus and all of that. But everything you shoot over there is full of thorns, you know. The deer, you're skinning the deer or caping out deer over there and they're just all all filled with thorns. Same with the javelina, the pigs, you know. Every, every animal has, you know, spikes in it. Um, you're not going to be able to spot and stalk ethically over there. So you do have to use these feeder tactics to get them out. You know, you have the feeders that go off and then when you're going up to the stand, you have a little um, little feeder on the back of your, your truck and you've got a button, you press it, and it puts all the corn over the road. So you head over to like a crossroad. They call it a Sandero. So you do 100 metres either side of that Sandero in a, in a crossroad pattern. The feeder would be there in the middle and then you'd head to the blind and sit there and, and just wait and watch. Mate, the thing that you know I really enjoy over there, bloody Mexican food. How good's bloody Mexican food? Well, unfortunately, because we stayed on the ranch so much, we didn't actually get any authentic Mexican food. Oh, um, no, you know, we'd we'd buy all the supply <laughs> supplies from the shops. We we did live off of tortillas, um, but all the meat we ate over there was pretty much everything that we shot. So we're eating deer javelina. I ate rattlesnake, bullfrog. Um, I was a massive fan of the javelina. My mate that I was hunting with, he was quite fussy with his food, so um, he wasn't a massive fan of them. But, yeah, the javelina, if we had them over here, I'd, I'd live off them. Yeah, I know. It's crazy when you think about different types of, you know, game meat, how, you know, the different animals taste. Uh, you know, I'd love to get over there. I think I'm going to have to get over there and 
definitely do a hunt over there one day and try and get some of these different species. I mean, I, I like hunting in Australia, definitely, but, you know, getting over there and getting those experiences is awesome. But I want to talk about one thing, you know, like when people go away hunting, I guess, are you, are you in Adelaide? Yep. Yeah, yep. I'm just out of Adelaide, but grew up in the Adelaide Hills itself, so... Yeah, I want to, you know, how often or how far away? Because normally for me, I said I'm at least an hour and a half away before I can even consider sort of, you know, pulling out, you know, a rifle and hunting. So if you want to go out, you want to go to a property, whether it be deer, goats, you know, foxes, rabbits, like how far are you generally sort of traveling to be able to pull out a rifle or a bow or and basically start hunting? So I um, only just moved down into town itself um, in the northern suburbs in Adelaide. But before that, I was living in Adelaide Hills at my parents' joint, and we lived on five acres. So I was able to, you know, pull out the bow and shoot quite a bit, pull out the twenty-two sighting rifles there. We'd get a fair amount of foxes, rabbits, and hares on the property itself. So I was able to, you know, dusk and dawn shoot them at night. Spotlight. The neighbours were cool. Had eighty acres next door. I could shoot on as well, which made things easier. And growing up in the area, you know, you meet all the local farmers. So I got access to quite a few farms out there. So it was five minutes for me at the time itself. Now it's about half an hour to 45 minutes to most of my properties. So deer, I'm traveling about half an hour for and goats about 45 minutes. Yeah, nice, you lucky bastard. Why would you move off five acres, you crazy bugger? Uh, you know, parents wanted me out and starting my own life. <laughs> Probably makes sense, doesn't it? They go, get out, you know, start running your own life. Yeah. But- that's true, man. Yeah, Let's talk about, exactly. I mean, you're, you're big on, you know, bow hunting and stuff like that. So I want to find out, you know, what, what is it about bow hunting? And I've got a lot of respect for those bow hunters because, you know, getting in close to game is, you know, it's just really difficult, especially a lot of the places, you know, that I hunt. You know, even when I tell guys that are hunting with rifles, you know, like I might, let's say I might be state forest hunting at one time because, you know, I want to go out with more friends and I see people out there and they're walking around and I tell them, you know, I mean, I saw you coming from a mile away. Like, I don't think you really, and you're walking on the road or you're coming out of a game trail where there's, you know, rocks on the side of the game trail and making noise and leaves and it's dry and, mate, you've pretty got no, no chance of shooting a deer. I mean, they'll be on, I was on to you way before you saw me and you know it's just crazy so how hard is it to get in that real close and sort of get those big good animals especially deer i don't know how you get in that close i think it's just crazy but awesome yeah i've only taken you know a handful of deer with a bow unfortunately you know miss plenty um as you do with bow hunting <laughs> but Absolutely, yeah. you know i've had a little fiberglass recurve since since I've been, you know, since I can remember, I probably got it when I was five or six years old. Um, really dropped out of it through, you know, from, you know, eight to 16, 17. And then um, my my dad, he um, he got right into bow fishing and bow hunting and, you know, took me out bow fishing a couple of times. And that's where the um, love for it started, I, you know go out bow fishing with him for the day and then go back to his house and watch a few of the bow hunting DVDs that he had, you know, uh, Casey McCullum, um, he's a local South Australian bow hunter. That's just an incredible bow hunter. He's taken every species in Australia and New Zealand that you can with a bow. Um, you know, all good male, male, you know, buck stags, you know, every, everything you can think of in, in Australia and New Zealand he's taken, um, also Bushman Brooks watched a lot of his DVDs and yeah, that's where the passion started. So my dad gave me a bow, 
couple of weeks, I was lucky enough and got my first deer just by pure fluke. Didn't know what I was doing, never hunted deer before, just a small, you know, yearling doe. Then, um, you know, bragged to my dad. He got all jealous, got me and gave me another <laughs> another bow, a little bit better quality. Within a few weeks of that, I had my first goat on the ground. And, yeah, just just the passion started from there. I started doing it more and more, and, you know, being single back then. You know, I was good, you know, as soon as I finished work, I'd be going out, you know. I'd be shooting the bow with friends every every spare minute I got. I got a lot of my schoolmates who I grew up with in archery as well because, you know, I like hunting hunting with a mate because, you know, when the hunting's quiet, you can always bullshit between each other and have a good laugh and take the piss out of each other. So, yeah, you know, I've been doing it mainly bow hunting for about 10 years now, so. Excellent, mate. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back, talk a bit more about bow hunting with Zach Williams. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Mate, I want to find out what do you do in regards to poundage of bow? Have you gone, you know, have you had one bow for a long time? Have you continually keep upgrading? What are you sort of shooting now? Give us a rundown of the, you know, uh, equipment and gear that you're using. So I'm a bit of an archery hoarder. I actually haven't got rid of any of my bows that I've owned. Um, so I've got them all hanging in my hunting room and I just swap between, between what I want to use at the time, um, mainly shooting about 70 pounds. Um, you know, sometimes when some of our bows have been in the shop, I'd go down to use my bow fishing bow, set that up, chuck a um, sight and that on it just to show that these lower end bows can still take animals. Um, yeah, but mainly 70 pound I'm shooting. So Awesome. Uh, it's interesting how the amount of gear that we buy, eh? like I, I just got to stop buying gear, mate. This is the problem. I always think I need something and then I think, yeah, no, I do need that. I justify it to myself that <laughs> I actually need it. Then I go and buy it. And then, it, you know, how many times have I bought stuff that I thought, you know, might suit me at the time. But as you, you know, you get more experience in hunting and shooting and then you think, why on earth did I buy that? You know, I always tell my story that I had a seven mil 08 and I bought this massive scope for it like i think it was a six and a half to 24 to shoot deer and i was shooting pretty much you know thick country and i'm like why did i put a telescope on this gun this was the most stupidest (laughs) idea ever you know i I think we've all done it basically over the years haven't we yeah yeah we have you know i've tried a bunch of different sites you know um the old the old archery store that i used to go to archery mart the the blokes was saying you know there's two types of shooters he deals with one where everyone has everything down to a T, you know, all the arrow weights are written on the fletchers and, you know, everything's per- perfect. And then there's guys like me that just, you know, make make sure that I'm shooting right and just send it, you know. So <laughs> but I'm pretty pretty happy with my setup nowadays. Um, you know, I've got a PSE um, Evolve 31, so that's a 70-pound bow, and I'm running the um, option option 6. Uh, sight on that so it's a five pin fix and it swings open and then it's got a single pin floating so with that I'm you know shooting 20 to 75 yards 
yards with that. Um, stepping five yards is the furthest I've taken taken game with. Um, but you know, everything's got to be pretty perfect for that. So, what's the what's the easiest game to sort of get in on with a bow, especially if you're trying to you know sneak up on them? I've seen couple of guys that I follow on Instagram as well. I've seen them hunting pigs and, you know, pigs seem to be a bit blind in some respects. I've had guys, you know, right up on them with cameras and able to put their, you know, tripods sort of, you know, behind them so they can film themselves taking, you know, pigs with a bow, guys, you know, hunting goats, you know, deer seem to be a bit more of a different species. But what do you find is easier to take or easier to sort of stalk in on or are they all pretty much in the same ballpark? Well, I actually haven't taken any pigs with a bow. I've had a pretty bad run on them. Uh, we don't have too many in South Australia in the areas I've hunt and the areas that we do have them. I've had a few trips over and haven't even seen any anything alive over there. So don't get me started on them. It's pretty pretty sore spot, you know. I, I lost a nice big boar in Mexico. <laughs> but um, probably carp, like, to get your eye in and to get form right and, you know, just to get yourself used to shooting. Um, South Australia, we're pretty lucky. We can bow fish in the backwaters of the Murray River. Um, so I just went out and shot lots of them. You know, it's not easy. I'd, I'd tread around the backwaters walking, you know, sometimes waist deep to chest deep in the water just to go shoot a shoot a carp. Um, but fish aren't the easiest things to stalk up on when you're in their environment, you know. Any ripple they don't like in the water, they're off. But, you know, um, that's one thing that's really helped helped me. And then chasing deer, um, you know, before I took my first buck, I probably put, you know, close to 300 hours in looking around and trying and trying and stalking many failed stalks. And then I've taken a couple of deer since then, you know, haven't taken a buck for a while. When I was in New Zealand, you know, I had, I had three nice shots on, a couple of different seeker. One was a nice big stag and, you know, sent it straight over his back and he ran out to about 80 yards and my mate handed me handed me his rifle and I put the scope on it and just couldn't pull the trigger the first morning. And, yeah, I actually didn't bag a seeker while I was over there, which was unfortunate, but it was my choice. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your number one species to hunt? Like if you had to pick all game, would deer be your number one? Oh, I love chasing deer, especially fallow in the rut, um, just here in the croak. But yeah, chasing seeker in New Zealand was was incredible. They are ghosts. Everyone refers to Sambra as ghosts, but um, if they went and chased seeker in New Zealand, you know they're a smaller deer. They're about the size of a fallow, maybe a little bit smaller. Um, you know they live they where we were hunting was pretty rainforested area. You know, lots of moss, lots of canopy cover, so it was quite dark even through through the daylight. Lots of like tea tree as well, so quite thick on the edges, and you just could not see them, could not hear them, hear them coming. You could hear them screaming their heads off and um, making all the different noises that they make because they're meant to be one of the most vocal deer species around, even more vocal than elk. Yeah, right. Interesting, man. It's just. Oh man, I just love hunting, don't we all? I love hunting and shooting oh. and hearing a lot of people's uh, experiences. You know, especially when we, especially when we go around the world. I mean, I talk to a lot of people from yeah, not just here, but you know, overseas. And I've said this before. It's almost like you know, just because we cross oceans, we all got a love for you know, sort of hunting and shooting and, and fishing. And I mean, some people love the fishing more, some love the hunting more, some hate hunting, some love fishing, some hate fishing. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, it all just depends yeah. on what they enjoy. You know. 
exactly. And that's the great thing about social media these days is that it um, opens up the pathways for us to connect with other hunters from around the world. You know, on my Facebook and Instagram, I've got hunters in every state, you know, across America and Canada and Alaska, New Zealand, just just everywhere. And those um, having those connections there, you know, everyone's normally pretty pretty uh, welcoming. And they're like, you know, if you ever come over or ever want to hunt, you know, you've always got a bed here. We'll take you out, show you the ropes on the species. And, you know, that's how I got to hunt New Zealand. That's how I got to hunt Texas and Mexico, just all these connections through social media. Talking about you know, South Australia as well, like what's the ter- – I'm not sure we spoke about it at the beginning. I don't think we did. But what's the terrain and environment like in South Australia? You've got a lot of flatland, a lot of hills, depending on where you go. Give us sort of a rundown on what's, what it's like in South Australia. Oh, we got everything, man. You know, it, it depends where about where about your hunting. Um, South Australia is a pretty big, it's a pretty big state. You know, most people don't realise how big it is. Um, you know, well, you got the Flinders Ranges that's pretty, pretty dry and rocky, and you know, not too many big trees out there. Then you got the Adelaide Hills, and you know, um, you know, a lot of it's big, big gullies, big gum trees. You know. Um, lots of thick stuff. Then you've got open farmland through the hills as well, so that can be quite hard to hunt. Then you, you know, you've got the southeast that's quite flat, tea trees, uh, swampy, lots of loosened paddocks out there as well. It all depends on what what area area you're hunting in, mate. What about summer versus winter? Now, man, pretty much I go, I have a trip every year down south to Riverina. It's about you know, November, middle of November, sort of, you know, until sort of late November. And then I sort of, I hang up the boots after that because it just gets way too hot. Do you do the same thing and concentrate more on fishing in the summertime or do you just battle out the heat and just go go all year round or spend more time maybe spotlighting at night because it's a bit cooler or what do you generally do? Just depends how bat, how itchy my finger gets, mate. Um, you know, winter, you, you tend to do a lot more because it's, it's colder, but summer, you know, you're, you're bored sitting around the house, so you try hunt early morning, late afternoon. You know, everything needs to drink. So if you know where the water source is, you're gonna you're gonna have animals coming towards towards the water no matter what. You know, we've had a pretty couple pretty dry summers over here, so hunting hunting paddocks between water sources has proven pretty good. You know, get a meat animal, mainly fallow, on some of the properties that I go to from time to time over summer and then I hit, you know, the backwaters bow fishing quite a bit or go out in the uh, kayak splitting. What are the what are the farmers like down there too? I noticed, you know, there's a lot of as you know, sometimes there's good in social media and sometimes there's bad. You know, people are getting done for poaching on the odd occasion and then, you know, that's affecting people's access to, to get access to, you know, properties to be able to hunt on. You know, hunters are wanting to approach farmers and maybe a farmer's had a, had a bad experience. So then people are just poaching anyway. It's just getting bad at the moment. So what's the when you're approaching people in South Australia, you know, are farmers pretty easy going when it comes to yeah, giving access? Do you have to really work hard on it? What's the general situation down there? Uh, it's pretty much who you know. So, like I said, growing up in that area, um, I was just able to get onto you know people that knew my family, and I would just go go around door knocking. You know, um, we our main fallow property at the moment. Um, we give them a hand from time to time when we go out. They'll be like, "Oh, can you do this for us? Can you do that?" And yeah, no problem. You know, um, the first time we went out there, we um, 
gave him some meat. We got a couple of deer, so he crawled back into the house, gave him some meat straight away, then went to the shops and got a box of chocolates just to say thank you. And, yeah, um, you know, they'll message us saying, hey, can you come out? There's too many rabbits, too many foxes, too many rabbits around the house. Can you come out and do some spotlighting and whatnot? So, um, but, yeah, it's just who you know. I um, chat to a fair bit of a fair few people, you know, I worked in BCF in, in the Adelaide Hills there. So I, I was chatting to customers all day. And, you know, if someone mentioned they're on a property, I'd get chatting to them and I've had access that way. Um, I've got family spread out through the state. So I'd get my family to put fillers out for me and ask around, ask farmers they know. That's how I've gotten access in the Flinders Ranges in the past. And yeah. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's, uh, it's always good when you get access and you meet good people. Like I met some good farmers. I've got a farmer, especially one in particular that I got access to. And, you know, he's just an awesome guy. You know, one time, I don't think I've told many people this story, but um, yeah, it's a pretty funny story. I was, you know, this is how good he actually is. So, you know, normally there's an area right near the old house where you sort of, you know, burn all your stuff before you leave. It's not a big deal. And this day was a, yeah. bit, was a bit windy. And I thought, oh, just, you know, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Anyway, so obviously I burn it. You can probably see where this is going. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's just behind that area. Like it's sort of got, it's roped off with a bit of like wood. So, you know, it keeps everything sort of secure. Anyway, yeah. I, I looked up and where the road is near the, because there's, there's a river just running next to the house. And then I saw, what's that? Yeah. What's that little bit of, what's that smoke, you know? So over there. <laughs> so I pretty much, you know, and when I say like a little bit of a hill, like I walked up about five meters just so I could see over the sort of bit of dirt. Mate, there was a fire about yeah, probably three me- two or three meters wide. And I'm going, oh shit, man. Right. So I bowled <laughs> no. it back to the house, which is maybe 20, 30 meters away. I'm banging on the yeah. window to get my mates up, go and get up. And my mate, cause he, he was in like a full slumber. He, he gets up and he goes, yeah. what the, what's happening? You know, like, and he, he bolts outside, <laughs> not knowing what goes on by this stage. Now the fire is about 20 meters wide. So oh, I pretty no. much call the farmer and I say, mate, you need to get here as soon as possible. I said, we'll just we'll burn in the stuff, trying to do the right thing. And he goes, that's all right. He goes, whatever. You, which way is it going? I said, well, it's going along the river. It's blowing along the side of the river. And he goes, shit, towards the machinery. And I said, yeah. And he goes, whatever you do, just try and keep it off if you can. If you can't, don't don't risk anything. Anyway, he's a, he's a fire yeah. warden in town, so he comes down about three minutes later and he goes, oh, shit, <laughs> I didn't think it was this big, you know. Anyway, so he charges into town, gets the new, um, it was pretty much a brand new uh, fire engine, over you know, Vorm over the top of the hill and he's putting out this fire. And I mean, mind you, by this stage, he'd probably gone about 130 metres down the down the side of the river oh, so what's it a small fire man <laughs> and we're like me and my mate are running backwards and forwards from like the river with these big old you know like the steel trash cans you sort of see in the states and we're just trying to throw yeah. like just make big lines of water along the ground just to try and stop it we're throwing water on machinery i'm not the fittest guy oh, got no. about 15 20 kilos to lose so i'm like i'm just like <gasps> breathing like you wouldn't believe and you know this new fire engine it was pretty awesome actually had like a a fire hose sort of comes out the front of it on sort of where the bull bar is and he's like got a yeah. joystick inside it and he's yeah putting it out and mate pretty much when it's all tin and dusted i'm just like oh man i'm i'm, I'm so sorry like i just thought oh, pretty uh, red face yeah i'm like <laughs> just sitting there going mate, I, I completely understand if you don't want us back here again like it's just such a massive error and he goes he goes no nah, no nah, it's all right what are you talking about and then i said oh man i'll, just, I'll get you some because i already got him a couple of slabs of beer because i because he's a good yeah. guy so i said man i'm happy to get you some more stuff i just 
want to make it up to you. Anyway, so I got him a couple of extra slabs of beer. And then he comes down at night and has dinner with us. And he goes, oh, fuck, don't worry about it. You know, who cares, man? You're coming back next year. Don't worry about it. I said, shit, man, we almost like burnt down $150,000 worth of your equipment. Like, you know, like you don't even care. And he goes, ah, don't worry about it. He goes, nothing happened, did it? He goes, that'll grow back, you know what I mean? Oh, my God. So that was my experience, you know. Normally you'd be like, the farmer would be going, mate, that's it, see you later. But this guy is such... It depends if the farmer knows you. Exactly. He's such a good guy. Like, he's such a helpful guy. You know, like even when you're not there, sometimes on properties and sometimes we hunt rice down there and maybe there's no rice. He might not be growing any because he maybe thinks it's not worth it for water prices that year. He'll, get, he'll be yeah. straight on the phone. Yep, Johnny or whatever your name is, mate. You got rice? Yep, mate. I've got a couple of guys here wanting to come down. They're driving this, this and this yeah, car. Man. You know, is it all good? Yep, yep, yep. Sweet. And then he puts you on to more people. And, you know, I'm thinking, shit, man, I burnt down this guy's you know, 150 metres of his property. I mean, he's got about 8,000 acres, so it's not really that yeah. It's not really that huge, but, I mean, still, when you burn down even anything, you know, it's really it's really not a good thing, man, but he's such a good bloke. Yeah, pretty back there, so. You haven't done anything like that, have you? You can't beat that. No, 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 definitely can't beat that. That's, that's definitely a topper. So I'm telling people, if they've got, you know, if you're on someone's property and you've got rubbish, either A, take it with you, maybe put it in the local McDonald's bin somewhere on the way home or, you know, maybe go into town and find some a parking area where you can put it in the bin, certainly do that. Don't burn it. But anyway, oh, man, it's just crazy. But uh, anyway, guys, we're just going to go another quick break. We'll be back with Zach Williams, and we're going to talk uh, more about game men when we come uh, right back. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Mate, let's talk about game meat. I know you were mentioning it before, Havelina. Tell us how yep. how that sort of, you know, gets into your lifestyle and stuff like that. Like sometimes I forget, like I've got like a tucker box out the back and all of a sudden you know, I find myself buying something I shouldn't, you know, a pizza or something. I go, man, I've got like awesome game meat. Like why aren't I eating that? I've got sausages galore. Like start eating that. So how important is it when you go out there to sort of get game meat and how does that implement into your lifestyle and how much are you eating it sort of on a weekly basis? Yeah, I love my game meat. Um, you know, we we eat a fair bit of it here. Lots of goat, um, lots of venison. Um, when we have people over, that's that's when I love love cooking it the most. You know, during the week, we'll just eat your standard meals. You know, sometimes we'll do like a you know, goat spaghetti bolognese or you know some venison steaks, something like that. But uh, the missus works works for a chicken company, so we get get lots of um, lots of chickens chicken as well so it's pretty much game meat chicken you know sometimes she'll she'll get sausages and stuff like that but um yeah mainly when we have people over i like to you know crank out the old venison poppers and chuck a venison roast on the on the weber and you know make a bunch of different stuff for people who really don't get to eat it um you know i've got a 500 liter chest freezer at the moment i've got a full full deer carcass in there a full goat carcass um, you know, ready to catch up with, with mates to go have a spit or whenever, you know. I know, it's awesome to – I've got a small one. I, I seriously need a bigger, you know, freezer, tucker box freezer. Mine's like, you know, like 130, 140, and if I try and put too much in there, it just gets full way too quick. 
yeah, like I said, 500 litres, man. You, you just find yourself, oh, the freezer's looking a bit low. I need to go go top that up. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've, some, some of my mates aren't, they love hunting, but I'm a big fan of venison. So they'll, you know, they'll do trips into state and I'll get some of the sander and, um, you know, other species that they, they might get. Um, but yeah, lots, lots of mint, lots of steaks, venison poppers, you know, um, I'm trying lots of new stuff out. I'm a big fan of the meat eater series. So, um, I've tried a bunch of stuff off of that. I eat, you know, heart, liver, um, kidneys, all of that stuff. Tried tried cooking with cool fat and, you know, all the, all the different stuff, stuff on there. And it's interesting, isn't it, when we're trying to, you know, give it to people. Sometimes people, does this happen to you as well? Like when, you know, people know I hunt and stuff and every time now everyone's a bit paranoid when they come to my house, except for my, that's if they're not my hunting buddies. Like I've still got a, you know, a couple of school friends that I've known for 30 years and they're still my best friends, you know, they come over and they're like, what is this? What is this shit? You know, like, what is it? Is it, is it deer? What is it? We want to know before we eat it. Like, no, no, it's all good. And they're like, but what is it? You know, they, <laughs> they want to know exactly what it is before they eat it. Cause I've done it to them before, man. I've put it in there. We've eaten it. And they're going, oh shit, that was great, man. And I go, well, you just ate venison. And they're like, oh, what? You know, like you didn't tell us that's, you know, we've been violated. You shouldn't do that. And I said, ah, man, you're not going to die. It's all good, man. It's all good. Yes, I've uh, been known to um, cook stuff up and say it was something else and, and tell them as soon as I've finished eating it, telling me how great it was. Um, I have made uh, ex-girlfriends in the past cry, you know. They're all happy <laughs> thinking it was goat. And then when I told them it was Bambi, they were, um, you know, in tears. <laughs> uh, needless to say, those ones didn't work out, eh? <laughs> no, no, no. They're reading their exes. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, speaking about that, I think I saw on your Instagram you're probably getting married soon. So what did the um, your fiance, I guess you'd say now, what did she think when she first met you? Did you know her through the shooting community? Was she just someone you met through a friend? And if, you, if so, when you said you'd like to hunt and get your own meat and all that, what did she sort of think about it? Well, yeah, funny story there. We met actually at nightclubbing. So um, she's a city girl herself, not really into hunting or fishing or anything like that. A lot of her first outdoor experiences were through me catching her first fish. Um, you know, she's been out hunting once or uh, twice with me. Um, we, I've, I've taken her out and we shot a little spiker and uh, freezing cold conditions, pissing down the rain, wind swirling. So the Probably not the greatest greatest day to take someone out for their first time hunting, but we managed to get a little spiker, and um, you know, she she did not like it, but she's probably not a massive fan. Um, we took her son out; he's five. Um, didn't get anything, you know, taking young kids out. You know, he sounded like a herd of buffaloes going through a corn chip factory, so scaring <laughs> a lot of the, the animals off before we got there, but. Um, you know, you got to let them have fun when you're taking them out. You can't, you can't be all serious and yelling at them to be quiet. Otherwise, they're not going to enjoy it. I want want them to get into it so I can start taking him out more. Um, I started cooking up venison and goat and that for her to try. She'd never tried any of those things before. Um, she liked it. She she doesn't mind eating it. It's not her favourite, but um, yeah. It's interesting because, and even I think to a certain extent, I was like this when I first started getting into it. You know, you think, oh, gay meat, this is awesome. And then 
you know, I spent a long time trying to get my first deer, really trying, you know, doing this show. People yeah. people offer you, you know, a lot of opportunities. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate those opportunities. But, you know, what I want to do it myself for the first one, like, hey, once I get a deer, let the invitations just flow in. I'm more than happy to, <laughs> you know, do those, have those invitations at a later date. But yeah. I wanted to sort of do it myself. But when I first, started, I guess, started eating the meat, I guess sometimes the idea, the mental stuff, and I guess it comes back to a similar situation with my mate when he first was trying sort of sushi, you know, and he was like, oh, he's spitting it out. This is what the hell is this, you know? And then all of a sudden, see, now, I mean, he loves the stuff, man. He's like ringing me every two weeks. We're getting sushi. When are we going to – I love the stuff, you know? <laughs> like th- this was three or four, four, probably longer, probably 10 years ago. He, d- he didn't want yeah. a bar of it. But I think somewhat it's a mental thing too when we think – you know, when, when we're sort of used to the, you know, the lamb, the beef, the chicken, and, you know, we think yeah, that tastes yeah. good. We sometimes in our mind, I think people say, well, that's not that great, you know, but I think some of that's a bit mental as well, because even I thought that when I first started having it going, oh, well, it tastes a bit funny, you know, but maybe that was just me in my mind, because then when I make it up into other things, sausages, schnitzels, and those sort of things, like it's fantastic. And when they don't know what it is, they really enjoy it. As soon as they know, they go, oh, it wasn't that good, you know. <laughs> That wasn't that good, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's 100% a um, mental thing, you know. They grow up watching Disney and see all these animals talking and playing in the forest and that, that, that's what they think think wildlife like, you know. They put human emotions into these animals that they don't actually have. Um, so they tend to get upset when they eat them. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And, you so know, what about your mates? people don't. What about your mates when they come over? Do they sort of enjoy that you got – speaking of that, how did you – from social media, you know, when you bring your friends over or, you know, have you got into you know, becoming – getting more friendships with other shooters sort of in South Australia? I mean, that's one thing I really enjoy is that, you know, the people that I've met, not just through this show obviously, but, you know, through social media, through hunting, through even sometimes even meeting people out in the middle of a state forest somewhere and some of these guys I hunt with now actually. Yeah, exactly. I've um... – Come, come into hunting friends from social media, from meeting them out, you know, at job sites, or um, you know, I got a couple of my my schoolmates into hunting as well, so they they all hunt now or used to hunt. Um, but yeah, most of my mates these days either hunt or you know fish, so that's that's why the the main reason we catch up because we're either going out hunting, you know, or going out fishing, and you know, some of them do both. Um, but even the ones that don't, you know, I I give them, you know, mint goats that like goat mints and venison steaks and all that to go try and cook up. And you know, a few of my friends that I grew up with, their parents, I give them meat from time to time. And you know, one of my mates, his his mum used to bug me all the time, ringing me up weekly, going, "Where's my leg of goat? Where's my leg of goat?" You know, just bugging bugging me to to bring meat around for them to have you know <laughs> that, exactly the but that's interesting eh? like one thing i'll give it and i've got to give a lot of respect to is butchers because you know when i first was trying to get my first deer i thought you know what the hardest part is shooting the deer that's what i thought the hardest part was shooting yeah. the deer but that's just one part of it. I wasn't, you know, and I'm getting better. You know, I don't claim to be the best, you know, uh, butcher going around. I think I'm getting better at it, you know, but finding all the, the muscles, finding all the joints and stuff like that, you know, skinning, um, you know, that, that sort of stuff's a real art form. And, you know, when I shoot a deer sometimes, like sometimes I've gone to a hunting spot like on my last trip and 
I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, I got there in the afternoon, set up camp, you know, went down to my spot. I thought I might go to that spot. I've got about 10 that I can choose from, sort of thing that I really enjoy sort of, yeah. you know, hunting over. And I thought, no, I'll go to this spot today because the sun's not going to be in my face in the afternoon. Mate, I was thinking I'm really tired. You know, I cut up firewood. I really don't want to get a deer this afternoon. <laughs> what happened? Mate, sat there for about an hour. Bang, deer, flop. Yeah. Oh, shit, here we go. Now the hard part starts. You know, put it, Luckily, my car wasn't too far away, about you know, 900 metres to a kilometre. Drove it down, threw it on the back, went back. Luckily, I got a couple of good mates too. And I said, mate, I am literally just you know, stuffed. So like, you know, we got onto it quickly, just um, gutted it. All done, you know. I thought just let I'll just let it hang over the night and relax in the morning, and you know. But those butchers, I tell you what, like getting all those cuts, it's just it's just really really good skill to learn. Yeah, see, my first job out of high school was working on a slaughter floor, so I got a got a lot of experience, you know, gutting animals and skinning animals pretty quick. You know, doing all that you don't do the whole work yourself because you're doing four four and a half thousand animals a day. But yeah, you get a good idea of what to do on all the uh, different jobs. And then when I did get my first deer, you know, straight onto YouTube and Googled it. The Americans have lots of different channels to look at. But yeah, the Americans have lots of lots of stuff on there. So if people ever do shoot something and they don't know what to do, jump on either Facebook, ask people to help you out, or YouTube's your friend, you know. Uh, yeah. There's lots of videos on how to skin, how to gut, how to butcher all the different cuts, you know, no matter no matter what the game, the animal it is, it's all very similar, yep. you know, just different sizes. Yeah. And it's interesting you worked on a slaughter floor too. Sometimes I post up my photos and like I said, I'm not the best. And people, <laughs> one guy said a couple of weeks ago when I came back, he goes, oh, it's like somebody, you know, cut up that animal with the, you know, the, the back end of an axe. And I said, well, what do you want me? Like, <laughs> what, you know, I've seen these guys that like can skin and gut animals in, you know, three and a half minutes. I'm just not that guy. I'm learning. And this is where people, this is where there's the benefits of social media and sometimes the worst parts of social media. I mean, he probably didn't mean anything by it, but, you know, yeah, I don't claim to be, you know, some massive, awesome butcher that knows everything. I mean, that's what that's why it's a four-year apprenticeship these days to be, well, three or four-year yeah. apprenticeship to become a butcher, to learn all these things and learn all these skills, um, you know, and people getting out and doing it. And the only way to get more experience is to actually do it. And one of those deer, when he, we gutted it, next day he goes, oh, do you want me to give you a hand? And I said, no, nah, man, I don't care how long it takes me. If I sit here for an hour to get all the cuts, mate, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do everything. Again, I'm going to get the ribs. I'm going to take the back straps, the legs, you know, cut them all off, cut all the, you know, from the knees up and the hooves and stuff, cut it all off. I want to, you know, disconnect the spine when I get to that point, the head, you know, do everything. I want to do everything myself because, you know, especially if you're not, I don't get to hunt a hell of a lot every year. You know, I try and do it when I can, you know, maybe seven or eight trips a year. So when I do do it, I want to, yeah. I want to be able to do it and I want to get that experience because, you know, you can see it and I've looked at it on YouTube and there's some great stuff on there too, which is an absolute brilliant resource. But when doing it yourself, that's when you get the good experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've got mates that are butchers that, you know, give me absolutely hell for how some of the stuff I cut up looks. But, you know, it doesn't matter how it looks. It's all edible at the end of the day. That's right. Um, yep. But, you know, you you put some of these guys that have done, you know, a four-year apprenticeship on a but, my butchering, they, would, they don't know where to start with a whole animal, you know, because they're used to getting a skinned and gutted animal that's all clean, ready to go. It's been frozen for a day or so. Um, so it's all firm, it's not warm, muscles aren't twitching, and you know they they don't know what to do until the meat until it's meat form. So 
you know, one of my good mates that I've, I've known since high school, he did a butcher apprenticeship. You know, I got him into bow hunting. He 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 likes rifles now more because he likes more of the success. But I took him out, got his first goats, took his first deer with a bow, took his first deer with a rifle, and I've been there. And you know, I I just you know I take a um, game like a meat hook with me wherever I go, and a decent bit of rope wrapped around that. So where no matter what we get, we can always. You know, find the closest tree, string it up. So you work rather than bending over and trying to work in the dirt. You've got it hanging in the air and use gravity as your friend. And yeah, I just poke them with a stick and tell them what to do and um, let them let them learn learn how to do it. You know. Yeah, that's true. Nothing like experience, you know. And sometimes my friends, <laughs> they want to take over and like, oh, let's get this done. And I'm like, hey, whoa, just relax, man. Just relax. You know, it's all all in the experience, but. You know, I found the last trip I sort of really started to get into my own, you know, do the whole thing, gut it, you know, hang it up, skin it, and then go from there. I mean, you know, I've, I'm definitely getting better, but it's it's all about repetitive and to keep doing it. But, um, yeah, man, so what have you got coming up? Any, uh, you know, overseas trips coming up? Have you got anything, you know, coming up or any hunts or anything excited to sort of, you know, look forward to moving forward? Unfortunately, not, not for a while. Um, like I said to you, probably four years I'll, I want to go do a car and chamois trip in the in the mountains in New Zealand and you know eventually head over to the states again maybe go hunt Mexico again go chase elk um, I'm really keen to go try and get a black bear one of my good mates he's, he's taken a, he's done a couple of trips over to Oregon and he's been able to take you know a couple of beautiful elk with a bow he's taken a black bear with a bow he's taken a black, nice black bear with a rifle so he's been very fortunate in there. So um, the way way it's going, I would love to do a trip over there. But you know, got a young family, engaged now. Um, just got to get life on track first, and then eventually down the track to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting industry. The you know, a lot of people message me and want me to do you know more bow hunting and that, which is true too. And I probably do need to do that. It seems like you an interesting. Need to pick one up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I think about it for a while, but then I always want to buy something, you know. And then I go, you know, like I've got to start saving money, you know, <laughs> instead of just buying more guns and more equipment all the time. But yeah, the bow hunting yeah. industry has always sort of interested me. The fact that a lot of different people, and sometimes I get different vibes. And I don't know if I'm totally wrong here. You can tell me if I am. There's like a lot of helpful people, but then sometimes also there appears to be, you know, where people want to. Uh, I mean, this is in the shooting industry too. I don't think it's any different, but you know, sort of to you know criticize other bow hunters or other or other hunters. You know what I mean? And we, should, we sort of should be all working together and you know everyone helping each other. And it's not about you know who gets more animals or or who's got better equipment or or who's more popular on you know social media. I mean, who cares about all that? It's all about getting in, you know, helping each other and getting people into the sport. And I mean, just like you're, you're doing with. You know the your 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 son that you're you know looking after now. So yeah, it's good that you're getting. I've seen your photos. You know you're taking him out. Your stepson, you're taking him out. You know on the um, kayak. You're taking him out. Yep. You know, I mean, he looks like he's having a bloody ball. Yeah, yeah. No, he has a good time. Unfortunately, in Australia, you know, or not just Australia, just you know, in different industries all around around the place. You know, you're going to get a bit of tall poppy syndrome. Um, you know, some people do better. Other people want to cut them down so that that success you know um everyone loves wants to help in that but some people are just you know a bit of loners and want to do their own thing or they just want to talk shit online um you, unfortunately with 
with online, you're going to get that. Um, but I love taking new new people out who've never hunted before, you know. Um, can't remember if it was earlier this year or late last year. I took a young lad that I um, worked with at BCF out, you know. We got chatting. His name's Zach as well. And uh, he was, you know, done a lot of, a lot of fox shooting and small game shooting. And, yeah, just got chatting. And he's, I said, I'll take you out one day. I said, just just keep bugging me till I take you out. And he's, you know, bugging me every fortnight. Oh, when are we going out? When are we going out? I'm like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, when I get time, mate, when I get time. And finally got around, you know, got off, got off my lazy ass and took him out. And, you know, first half of the property, we walked around with the bows, you know, seen a couple of small fawns and just kind of let, let them walk. Um, and then about lunchtime, we're, we're heading up to the other part of the property, you know, came across a couple of deer, um, you know, he's, he's 16. I had my uh, 270. Um, come up some deer and we've slowly put a stalk in and I've sat away and he was kind of beating himself up quite a bit over it. I was just like, it's all good, mate, you know. Um, not everyone get, gets a deer on their first, first go and we sat down, you know, um, just just chatting and having a bit of a break. It was quite quite warm. I'm just like, we'll just go over this hill and have a look here. And he's like, all right, beating himself up quite a bit. I'm just like, just, just trust me, we'll go over this hill. There's usually a couple of deer over there. Yeah, sure enough, there was there was a couple of um, fallow does feeding, and we set him set him up, got him you know to 180 yards, and he made a beautiful shot, you know, um, dropped her within you know 20 meters. She she ran and she she dropped and walked up, and he you know got a bit teary and all all happy, and um, you know I made sure to video videotape the shot, video him walking up to the walking to walking up to it and then told him how to skin and gut it and let made him do all of that and his old man was hunting on a property you know 20 minutes away and he rings up his old man and his old man hadn't taken a deer at that point either and he's like hey dad guess what i, I got one i got one and his dad's like oh bugger off and you know a bit of jealousy <laughs> and a bit of bit of proudness you know we met back met back up and you know showed his dad the photos and you know handed over the the deer and they got a good feed of that you know and he he was over the moon but yeah i i don't get a better like there's no better feeling than taking someone that you know hasn't hunted before out and then taking their their first animal of the, or the first of a species or anything you know the excitement that they have the joy in their face their face you know and then showing them what to do and how to skin how to gut, you know what cuts they want um asking them what, what they want to do with the animal, whether they want, you know, some, some people want to keep it whole and hang it for a couple of days. So I've, I've always been, you know, just cut it up and chuck it in the freezer, you know. It gets a very similar um, effect when you're defrosting the meat to ageing it for a couple of days. It's amazing, isn't it, how people sometimes, and it's natural, I guess, new people getting into the sport that don't really know about it, you know, the hunting culture. And, you know, I was like that too. I Many people that I know that, you know, I still know now that, you know, they thought deer hunting was going to be easy. I mean, I spent four, almost four and a half, five years going out six or seven trips a year and having so many opportunities, but being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or I thought, well, oh, I might head back, you know, I spent all the morning stalking. Then I thought, oh, I'll just head back to the camp, you know, have lunch with the guys and that. And then guess what? I see the arse end of four deer running off because I've spooked them walking <laughs> back to, or I've been, I've been, they've come up over my shoulder and I couldn't move and they're 15 meters away. And I'm like, this is crazy. But it's 
it's crazy how the cookie crumbles. Like since I got the first deer, I think I've only been, you know, like on one trip that I haven't sort of been successful since then. Like yeah. it's just, you think, how does this happen? Like what's the reality? Five years, nothing. And then am I getting better? Or am I just learning new things? Am I scouting different areas? Like where, where is the success coming? Why am I successful now? Yet I wasn't, you know, five years ago. But it's one thing I did want to talk to you about actually, mate, is uh, you seem to get a lot of, um, you know, and this is not a bad thing, you know, from all the vegan crazies, you always get the inboxes from the uh, inbo- the, the, the crazy vegan people, the anti-hunters that yeah. say, oh, you shouldn't be yeah. hunting. I was like, <laughs> man, I never get any of this stuff. I only normally get shit from other shooters for some reason when I do get it, uh, which is not that often, but uh, I'd love to get some so I could read some of this stuff out on the show, but I never get it. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I um, I'm a bit of a shifter online, you know. I I see people talking shit about hunting, and I just can't help myself about commenting on it, you know. Um, I'm a big advocate for hunting, and you know, if they don't want to do it, that's fine. But don't try and stop us from doing it. And I will speak up when it comes to that stuff. But it all started with the uh, whole cat bow hunting of a couple of feral cats, you know. Uh, posted on a couple of hunting pages, my my Facebook page isn't on private, so it's a public page. And you know, because I'm I'm not going to hide what I'm doing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide from other people judging me about it. So um, yeah, the hate started rolling in, and then I was uh, I did that uh, that ABC doc uh, that ABC clip on uh, Kangaroo Island with one of our mates, Aaron, and you know the hunt didn't go according to plan. Um, I missed a couple of cats, and he he That's managed right. yeah, to get I one. That one. Yeah, 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 he managed to get one, but um, he put two arrows into it, and it uh, disappeared into the scrub. You know, that cat died. We found it a day or two later, but it's just had how it, you know looked on camera, got a lot of hate. That went pretty worldwide, so I was getting hate messages from you know. I reckon I got hate messages from every country in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. You know, when when people were putting too much emotion into this type of stuff, their uh, English drops out and then grammar drops out and, you know, the messages just come across hilarious, you know. They're, they're preaching not to kill anything, but they want to skin me and use me as their bathroom rug, you know. Yeah. Um, so, oh, a lot I, of them say this, though, eh, is that they say, like, oh, wait until I get you. I said, mate, here I am. Come and get me. I'll tell you where I'm going to be. You can kind of come and get me. And a lot of them are just full of shit. They're just losers, you know, jerking their dicks on the internet, you know, to, to whatever it is. And they've got nothing. All these are girls. Like, how are you going to skin me? You're not going to do anything. Stop yeah. lying. Like, you don't have it in you. And if you do, you should be in prison. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, um, you know, when, when the whole cat thing drops, you know, I was sitting at home, I'd uh, broke my ankle over New Year's, sitting on the couch watching hunting and comedy stuff on YouTube and, you know, 9.30 at night, knocked on the door and grabbed the crutches, hopped over to the door and cops it at the door. Um, they, all these animal activists were calling the South Australian police saying, oh, you know, this guy's going around Adelaide shooting, shooting people's cats. And I said to the cop, I'm like, uh, hang on, told him the story, told him what's happening, you know. He laughed, um, seen my bow sitting on the kitchen table because I'd been doing some target pa- target practice that day and got chatting, and he ended up going out and getting himself a compound bow afterwards and posted <laughs> that up, and I'm like, good, good try, good try, guys. But uh, the cops you sent around, he, he's getting into bow hunting now too, so... 
that kind of backfired on them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They just, yeah, a lot of them want to threaten online. It's just this is yeah, like I said, there's some really good parts about social media and some bad. But there's one bone I do have to pick with you. It's quite funny. Uh, yeah. On uh, Instagram, you're posting pictures. I think if I'm correct, eating carp. You had carp. Tell us about that. <laughs> So I've eaten carp a couple of times, you know. Um, I Kentucky fried some up at the river a few years back, and you know uh, I had a couple of callops, I had um, some redfin and the carp, and I cooked them all up the same and walked around the campsite and just gave it out. Didn't tell people what it was, and you know everyone's like, "What's that one there? That's really good. That's really nice. You know, real soft flesh." And I'm like, "That's the carp," and everyone's like shocked. You know, um, this property is my mate's grand- grandfather's property, you know, old German bloke. And, you know, uh, about a year or so ago, my dad went up there to go and install some windows on his houseboat. And he goes, oh, next time you see Zach, can you just let him know that since since um, since he cooked that calf up for me, every, every you know, twice a week I go down to the backwaters and catch myself a couple of calves and cook it up exactly how he did. And he's been, yeah, eating carp for the last four years now. Um, <laughs> what does it but, taste you know, like? What do you think? Is it not as bad as, you know, it's like eating, you know, I think I watched it was on Meat Eater. They ate a, uh, what was it, a coyote. And then I know a guy that I know, he, he's always wants to try new things. And he had some, you know, I think the back back leg of a fox. I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. You know, I didn't try it, but he told me about it. So what does it taste like? Well, carp's just a very soft, mushy fish. Um, you know, it is a delicacy across Europe and Asia. That's um, the most eaten fish in the world. You know, because it's found all over the world. Even the, you know, across America, they they do a fair bit of their bow fishing for them. They've got all the different species, but they, you know, deep fry them. As long as you treat them well, you know. Some people say brine them in water. Some people say catch them and put them in your bathtub and keep them alive for a week. You know, some people say soak in milk. Um, it just depends on how you treat them and where you're catching them from. You know, a lot of that muddy taste actually comes from the fat in between the meat and the and the skin. So I tend to just fillet them, skin them, um, and I I chuck them in the, straight in the mincer. I didn't debone them or anything. Just chucked it straight in the mincer and minced it all up, minced all the bones up, and then uh, yeah, just popped in. Uh, Thai style fish cakes on, into Google and found a recipe that sounded right and gave it a go. And, you know, the missus wasn't too keen. She didn't want to try it. Um, <laughs> but I took it into work the next day and fed it to all my co workers, and they were all really surprised, you know. Um, <laughs> Did you tell them it was carp? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all knew because they'd seen it the night before, posted on social <laughs> media. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're pretty spoiled because, you know, we might go, we have a few um, farmers that we go spotlighting and shoot a couple of deer and you know I'll take half a deer into work the next day cut it up all into steaks and you know we'll cook it up on the barbecue for everyone so a lot of these people are city people never tried any game meat and they're you know getting all this extra game meat that I'm bringing in so they're, they're pretty spoiled there <laughs> lucky 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 it's always good man trying new things and new recipes I'm always trying to learn new things the the, the sous vide is my new one you know the ones where you put it inside the bags yeah. and yeah, I've really I've, been trying been, on that at the moment I've been listening well since Stephen Ranella on Meat Eater started talking about them I've been pretty keen and you know my auntie, she loves her cooking, you know, typical Italian Italian woman, love, loves the kitchen, you know. 
she's been bragging about hers. Yeah, I've been actually meaning to get one just because I've heard so much about them, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, do the old reverse steer with it all. And, um, yeah, but, they're not bad. You know, they're I'm, not bad. You know, Havelina are pretty known for being a shit-eating animal um, across the stage. You know, their, their other name is skunk pig because I've got um, <laughs> scent glands towards their, the back of them and they stink. But, um, yeah, I found the meat pretty good. It tasted, you know, between, you know, chicken and, like, unu- uh, really unusual. It tasted between chicken and fish. Um, yeah, right. Dark not, meat or not light meat? Oh, kind of, yeah, like a pinky, a pinky reddy colour. But when you cooked it, it went kind of white, similar to pork. Well, you know, they're, right, not, yep. they're not related to pigs, but, you know, my... My Texas mate, Scott, who runs the guiding operation down there, he thought I was mental. My mate, Matt, who I was there with, you know, he already thinks I have a pretty shit taste in things because, you know, one of my favourite fish to eat is Australian salmon, you know. They've got a pretty bad rep for being a <laughs> useless, tasteless fish, but they're, yeah. they're definitely one of my favourite, you know. Yeah. Some salmon steaks up or smoked salmon, you know. And, it's you not, know, like, not, not like Atlantic salmon, is it? No. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not a fan of Atlantic salmon. I like that real strong fishy flavour from them. But you know, my my mate Matt thinks I got got the shittest taste when it comes. And then he just seen me eating the carp the other night. He's like, "Yep, that's done it. You you've officially got the worst taste buds in Australia." <laughs> He's like, "Your your, your favourite food is is Australian salmon and javelina." You know, with a javelina, I got one of the Mexican guys. Like I said. None of the um, workers on the ranch spoke any English at all, so it was just kind of uh, charades trying to work out. I went and shot one and brought it up to him and gave him a knife and just pointed at it, you know, saying, show me what to do. So he, uh, he, he you know, worked in the local butcher as well as working working on the ranch as well. Um, so, yeah, he showed me how to cut it up and what to do with it. And then, you know, I... We chucked a bunch of Mexican spices on there, you know, lots of chili, cumin, stuff like that. And yeah, cooked it up over the fire. And I, I thought it was brilliant, like I said before. If uh, we had them over in Australia, I'd, I'd freaking live off of it. Absolutely. And, you know, cooking really is a skill, too. That's something, you know, I guess we all need to get better at, you know, utilizing game meat. But maybe people want to find out, they want to, you know, follow you on Instagram or the Facebooks or this or that, uh, any of the social media accounts. How do they go about finding you on the internet? Yep, um, my my Instagram is Aussie underscore Arrow. Um, I have a hunting page on Facebook, um, Williams and Co. Bow Hunting and Fishing, and then just my uh, my normal account is Zach Slattery on uh, Facebook. Um, and if you can't get hold of me there, it's probably because I've uh, been put in Facebook jail because reported by all the vegans and my <laughs> other account Zach you've Williams been a bad boy again <laughs> yeah 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 stirring the pot too much all right zach williams joined me here on ahp to have a chat about hunting in south australia hunting overseas hunting you know goats pigs eating javelina so mate thanks for coming on the show mate i really appreciate it thanks thank you for having me mate You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.